Holding in Shmuel Perak and Zayn, and we saw the description of Goliath. Goliath was the super strong warrior for the Pleshtim, and we saw a little bit into Goliath's ancestry, his parents, grandparents, and we saw that Goliath was really a son of Arpa, which means that in some way he's actually related to David. The, the second or third cousins that are going to call it. And we're wondering how it was that with two sisters, Rus and Arpa, and Rus merits grandchildren like David Amalek and eventually Mashiach, and Arpa produces a son like Goliath. And even though it's true that Arpa turned back on Nami and Rus stayed with her, but we don't see that as being the biggest crime in the world. On the contrary, Nami encouraged her to do that. So we asked the question, why did Arba do so wrong that she should uh, be, be glad of having children like Goliath? Also, we saw last night the Chazal, that it wasn't Sam that Goliath was born to Arba. It was Arba was used for multiple avaries. And as a result of that, so it produced Goliath. Um, why did she deserve that? What is, why was that? Uh, okay, we don't see her as being so bad. We see the story in the Megillah. So why did she land up in such a situation and the children that she had? So there's two answers which I give. The one answer, which is really a Muslim lesson, mm-hmm. and that is that Arpa and Rus were sisters. And we can see from what happened to Rus so to speak, what had a daughter of Moab, like Rus, that come to Israel, and she could land up becoming the aim of the Malchus. She could have been the matriarch of the line of David and Melech. So, technically, Arpa had that potential too. Not only that, let's imagine for a second that Arpa would have come back as well. So the same mitzvah they would have been to marry Rus, as Baraz had, of being which means for the wife of Machlon because uh, he had no children and he had no, no relative. That same Yisrael referred to Arpa as well, the wife of Philia. And uh, just like Boaz would have seen it as his mitzvah to marry Rus, the Chara would have been also a mitzvah to marry Arpa. Could he marry two sisters? Could he marry two sisters of Gyarises? Do we say that runs to two people who are Gyarises and then they cut and them? And then I technically married. There's a discussion about that in the post. Is that the question that they were sisters? The pastor says they were sisters. But theoretically, that same, not that same schus that Rus could have had, that Rus did have, Arpa could have had too. And now we see an amazing thing. And that is, is the concept, whenever Kedusha isn't, isn't taken, isn't used, isn't actualized, so it itself becomes the biggest trigger in the world. Someone who could have achieved so much and didn't, so now it becomes, so to speak, it creates a void. It creates a vacuum where that condition was meant to or could have been, and that becomes something which is full of stone. And we made it by, it's true that maybe it wasn't a big aware in Oprah's part to go back, but by doing that, she forfeited whatever spiritual level that she could have had for herself and her children, and now that got replaced by an equal level of Torah. Well, just like the Ramban says, and when Chazal said, that wherever Neshama was and left, 
So now it creates a vacuum which can be filled by Tana, which is why a dead human being is so Tana. So something over here. Arpa became, by, by losing the chance that there was to go back with Nami, so now she forfeited that connection there could have been to, to Kedusha, and in place of that, it became filled with the Koyach of Tumah. It became filled with the Koyach of Tumah. And uh, maybe a normal, let's say, non-Jew, who didn't have that potential, didn't have that opportunity, wouldn't have had that same uh, negative connect to them, whereas Arpa, who did have the chance to do that, it becomes filled with a much bigger tumor. Now, why is this a muscle for us? There's a Gemara. The Gemara says, it's talking about the, those people who never learned Torah. Uh, the Gemara was Amei Aretz, the level they had. But the Gemara says the level worse than that. The Gemara Psachim, Shana Piresh. The person who had learned Torah and then leaves the Torah is going to be even worse. And we understand with that same Yisab. And that is a person who did con- had a connection to a high level of Ruchnius and loses it, is going to land up even worse because it creates a void. It creates an emptiness which is going to get overtaken by Torah. Uh, what about the same Yisrael, that a person has the, the ability to connect to Kedusha, and the more the ability was, the more that if it's misused or wasted, it's going to go the wrong way. It's going to come. And the best example of that is Esau. Esau was the brother of Yitzhak, which means he's the son of Yitzhak and the grandson of Abraham. So Esau had tremendous koyach or ability to do good. And Stavka, because of that, that when he went bad, he became so much worse. He wasn't stung, uh uh, another guy, like all the other nations around, he became much worse because, again, he had that potential with, which he didn't use, and that became a source of a kayachatana. Gehazi as well. Gehazi, who was a Tamil Elisha, and uh, when he went the wrong way, so then he became much worse because it's the same thing. When Tumah gets given up on, so then it gets filled with the ruach of Tumah instead, and it makes it worse. So Arpa, even though you can't say she did the biggest crime, but she squandered the biggest opportunity, and as a result of that, she got overtaken by the Kayak of Ra. And you made it, uh, that, that produced uh, what could have been, produced the, the equal of David Amelech, which is what Rus's grandchild ended up, she produced the Goliath, which is the same, so to speak, David Amelech's equal on the side of the guy. It also exists. Why? Why Goliath came from Arpa? Now, have you ever wondered the question, um, how did Arpa, who was a princess of Moab, have a son who landed up a Pishti? Not in the same place. Like, how did Goddess the Pishti come from Moab? It's not the same place. And you can't say it was his father because uh, no idea who his father was. So, what happened? So, there's another point here. And that is uh, also the Chazal point out. And that is... Maybe because of the snow, she put him up for adoption. <laughs> so, you're not saying wrong, but he's going to say a bit more. And that is, the Plishtim were a nation which came from Znos. And it's the first in the Torah. It's like, yeah, the, the, the way the Plishtim came from. The Bible tells us they came from the different nations, the Kaftarim and the other ones who... Uh, and the Kasluchim, Mashiyotsu Mishan Plishtim. So how did the Plishtim come from the Kaftarim and the Kasluchim? Rashi says that they were almost lining with each other, and the results of all the Mamzerim which came out of that was the Pishtim. So the Pishtim were a nation of, of uh, people who came from Syria, and the nation of Mamzerim, um, which is why it's always a, you'll see that it was like a certain derogatory title title of the Pishtim, because they were considered Mamzerim. Now, there's one thing we know that uh, Chazal tell us, 
about the Mamza, and then just like it says about the time of the Benida, and that is that they're much more uh, as a pony. They're much more brazen. They're less, uh, one of the middles of a person is kosher is that they're more reserved, they have a natural bush, they have a natural embarrassment, a natural uh, certain sneers to, to them. Whereas a person who's apostle from birth, whether it's a Mamza or a Benida, as I'll say, then as pony. They have more of a, a as they have more of a, a less restraint and less less uh, compassion also less less of the midas of, of the good midas of tzniyas that Klai Israel had the plishtim that was the nature of that was the nature of the plishtim we see that they were, they, they were always a grace that was looking to find they had that natural azus now when there would be somebody who was who excelled in that area. So then, it's somebody that the would want. And therefore, even if Gaius wasn't by birth a Plishti, even though he wasn't, a, he didn't come from the, the, the Plishti, but the Plishti welcomed him. Like-minded. It was like-minded people, it was something of a similar nature, and therefore that's where he would be accepted. So that's the issue of Habbeinai, he came from the middle. He wasn't from the Plishti, he came from a mixture of other people, but nevertheless, the Plishti accepted him, and uh, they respected him, so to speak, for those same bad midas of, of azus, of boldness, of brazenness, that were the, the midas of the plishtim as well. Um, and that's why we're going to see that Dafka Bagalias, it says about him that he was Makhari from Magadif, which means he cursed the Hashem. Uh, and that's also a middle of an Azpani, a middle of somebody who was born from a non-kosher marriage. Another example of that is in the Torah. The Torah talks about the Makadil. Where did he come from? How does the person look at him? So we know he was the son of a mitzvah in Shlomo's Bendibri. He wasn't a kosher Jew. He came from also in Avera. And therefore also he had no natural uh, bush and no natural sneers. And he made it. He's the same as one who was willing to be Makadah. The same thing we find by God, yes. That, uh, that, that came from the same place. So what means going us to meet Gas? Okay, so that's the, that, that's the connection of God's condition. Now, Having told us about Goddess of Science, having told us about Goddess of Armour, and now that's always an interesting thing. And that is, let's look at just to contrast the Pasuk and the Torah. When Moshe sends the Meraglim to go to Eretz Israel, so Moshe says to them, go and check if they're living in walled cities or in open cities. And what's the difference? So Moshe says, if they're really strong, they don't need walled cities, because they're not scared of anybody. So I'll live in my house with no protection, and if somebody come, I'm the giant, I'll trample them. And if they're scared, they're going to build big walls around them because they're scared. And so a walled city is really a good sign. It means the enemy is scared. If they're not scared, they're not going to bother. I can protect myself very well. And if that's the case, there's an interesting steer about Goliath. Because somebody that size, he's strong. And nevertheless, you see he's covered with armor. And he has every kind of weapon. What for? What's he scared of? If he's so confident of his own strength, so then you can go to fight like a giant. You can go to fight just with like a Chabashu. He went to fight. I think he pronounced it funny. But it's, uh, he doesn't need body armor. He doesn't need like to be fully fortified. And you see, and that's part of what you're going to see, the story about God. Yes, and on the one hand, he feels, I'm strong, I'm invincible. And on the other hand, you see, he's very careful to to wear a full suit of armor. That's, uh, so he's not that uh, convinced, so to speak, that he's invincible. Which, which yeah, as much as it looks scary to see a person dressed completely in metal with this huge, with this, with this huge uh, suit of armor, and the other hand, it's a sign of weakness. It's a sign that he's scared, and that's why he feels he needs to be protected. So we'll still see why Goliath felt he needed that. 
Now, Pasukhes. Vayamud vayikrel marchus Yisrael. So again, the Jewish camp was on one mountain, the Fisher camp was on the other mountain, he comes to the Fisher camp, and he shouts across the mountain to the Jewish camp, Vayamudahem. And he says, You see the whole army, you're going to fight the battle, all of you. Why do you have to, why do you have to fight the whole army? I'm the Pishti. And you serve the Shal. And therefore, choose a man with a one-on-one combat. Let him come and fight with me. If you can fight me and strike me, then we'll serve you. And if I can overpower him and kill him, you'll be our servant, and you'll work for us. So he's saying he's throwing a challenge to the Jews. And he's saying, let's find somebody who's willing to take me on one on one combat and, and then let decide who's going to win the battle. Now, the first question we have to ask of Pasuk is he says, Haba Nechia Pishti. He was no, we just said he wasn't a Pishti. So why does he define himself as I'm the Pishti? When according to Khazal he he wasn't necessarily for Pishti. Uh, but we'll see in a minute. But there's an amazing Targum over here. The Targum was a Tanif, obviously he was speaking to Rafa Kaidish, but listen to what the Targum writes over here. So, Goddess says, I'm the Prishti, and the Targum elaborates. What did he mean? He says, I know Goddess, I'm reading the Targum, I know Goddess Prishta. The cutlist frame in the Eli Khani, Kafni Pinchas. I was the one who killed the two sons of Eli when they came to battle, Kafni Pinchas. And I was one who captured Aaron HaKadosh. And I brought it to the house of Dagon, Rabbi Rezara. And it said in the seven months. And not only that, I've called Krav or Krav, the Havana and the Pishtoi, all the battles that the Pishtim fought against the Jews. I went to the front of the army. And the Tzachna Bikrava, I was also victorious. I killed people and until now the Pishti never made me the general. I was just a regular Pishti soldier, which I was very good as a soldier, but I was never made the Rav for the general. And now, now I'm a general, so now I'm coming ahead of the army. Now, and I'm being as that's the case, so citizens is challenged. You made Shal your king. What did Shal do? The Pishti made me the general because I have a good track record. Look what I did. And now you made Shal your king. What's Shal's track record? What did he do? If he wants to prove himself as a strong king, then he's too weak. So at least, then choose somebody else. It wasn't just a challenge to the Jewish people, it was a direct insult to Shal. What you're saying is, I deserve to be the Pishti. I proved my cousin in battle. What shall I do? If he really thinks he's strong enough, then we come and fight him. Okay, so that's the, that was the challenge that Goliath, so to speak, made to the Jewish people. Um, I must say, even better, it was still. Yonason had successfully fought the Pishti beforehand. So why did he, why did he pick on Shal? It's like, yeah, let Shal come and fight him. That's the. That's the one point. Now the other point the Chazal pointed out here is what what, what he's lashing. He says if he if let you choose a man 
if he can fight me and kill me, we'll be your servants. And if I can kill him, and uh, if I, I, then you'll be our servants. So that's indicative of we're going to see this a few times what God just says. That's not the right way to say it. In other words, when you put down two options, so you say the more obvious one first. It, uh, like the Gemara was that. So if you're going to give two sides to something, it's either this, which is more, uh, the more, the more ex- understood option, and if not, then that. And if that's the case, if God is talking, he should have said, I'm confident I'm going to win. So let's find somebody. If I'll beat him, which is what I think is going to happen, then there'll be assets. And if, you know, it's impossible, he beats us, then okay, then we agree, we also. It doesn't make sense that he said the other way around. Right? You don't say the, the, the Kiddush before the Pashat. Just like in Gemara, it's also like that. You say what's more understood. And then you say what less, what less, what less are likely to happen. And over here again, it's a question of God, yes. Why do you first say that, and if he beats me, okay, and if not, then you're expecting to win. So you should put first the argument, if, you know, decide that what I expect to happen. Or the more likely, what he thought, the more likely said. But the second question mark we have in God, yes, like why didn't you do that? That all fits with this lack of confidence. Right, right. We're just going to prove where it came from. Uh-huh. We'll see it throughout. That you see on the one hand, he's promoting himself as being so strong. On the other hand, you see that it's not completely uh, convincing, so to speak, that uh, it's provided. Now, the psychological part of the warfare also. I insulted, I, so to speak, was the vazir, the army of Israel. So, come on, no, do something about it. Find the person who can fight back. In other words, the Jewish people didn't respond. God has got a challenge, it's in science. So, God is pushing them, do something. No, I, I've, I've made the challenge, I've put you on the spot, come on. Find the person who's going to fight him. Shal and all the Jewish people heard the Plishti and they were very afraid. Shal was afraid, we understand, because he had been singled out. Like, are you going to be brave enough to come and fight God? Yes. And the Jewish people were afraid because they didn't want to be chosen either as the one to fight him. Now, there's another point here as well. And that is, we see with the Shaifatim also. When the Shaifat was chosen to fight the battle, so then uh, the Apostle says, we saw this in Shaftim a number of times, that the Ruach Hashem enveloped him. Uh, and he said, you know, that the Nachal of Ruach Hashem, Ruach Achmur, is a Ruach of strength which comes from Sayyid Dishmai. And whether it was Gidon or whether it was Yiftach, whatever Shaftim it was, it went to war, he was given that confidence of the Hashem Dishmai who was pushing him. And then he was successful. And Shaul doesn't have that, because Shaul's lost the Ruach HaKadosh. And therefore, he's not emboldened to go and stand up and fight for Kaleshov. On the other hand, on the contrary, he's very scared. He's very scared because this is all symptomatic of him losing the Seth Nishmaya that he had, and therefore he doesn't have that Ruach to, to go and fight. Besides for that, the Russian Chayat, so Chazal said, it's not brought in the Pasuk, that even though we learned in the Pasuk that God has said anything directly against Hashem, but Chazal said that God has was also. And when he said, Tnuda Chamesh, the Chazal said, he meant Hashem Yish Muhammad. And therefore, part of the intention was, let Hashem try and fight me. And why would he say that? As we said before. He said, I was going to install the Iron Akkadish. I took the Iron, I took it there, it's or whatever it was, and now I'm here to fight. If Tnuda Chamesh, let Hashem try and fight me. Which would be the, the Makhariv Mugarev, the saying, so to speak, disrespectful to Hashem. And, uh, that was the second part of being a possible, like we said before. But another point also, 
the Chazal, the Apostles said he went out twice a day, every morning and evening, to repeat this, this challenge because the Jewish people were answering. And Allah said it wasn't stopped. They went to twice a day. He waited for when everyone started to dive in Shema. And then when Allah was diving in Shema, he said, You dive in Tashem, let Hashem come and fight me. I took his iron page, then he dived me back. Which was, again, it was like calculated to kind of interfere with Faisal's Tefillah and maybe interfere with their Munna as well. And that's why Gadias was so called the Makhayaf. It wasn't just, the, like, so to speak, in the front or to Kalisrael, it was also a certain insult to Hashem, which was why, obviously, Hashem was going to make sure that he's going to get punished for that. Okay, so that's the, that's the story of, of Gadias and uh, Gadias' so to speak, challenge to the Jewish people. To the Jewish people. So, like we said, shall we understand why he didn't respond? Because he had lost that ruach of strength or the spirit of Hashem which he had. The question is, what about Yenison? Our Yenison in the previous case was was the one who single handedly turned the ball in Kaisal's favor. And with that same chance, Ishmael, let, let's go and Hashem will help us. So, well, why wasn't Yenison here in the picture? As Shal's oldest son is one of the leaders of the Jewish people at the time. So, why wasn't he an active, like, involved at all in the in fighting Goliath. So here we see an example of a case where we see something in Tanakh, it's a good example of it, and that the Gomorrah on the Gomorrah says under the heading of which means sometimes Hashem wants a certain person to do the job, and if he's going to he's going to keep it for him. And the Gomorrah says lots of times, really, there would be other people who could have done it as well. But Hashem wanted this person to do it, so he set things up that it was ready for that person to be able to do the job. And he has, Hashem wants David to kill Goliath. So he made it, so even though Yannison did nothing wrong, and the Khari, he was a courageous person, and he did have a that Hashem would help him, we don't find that uh, he stepped forward yet. It's part of the process because Hashem wanted, Hashem wanted uh, Dafka David to be involved. Why? Firstly, this would be part of David's ascendancy to public acclaim. We would know that until then. This was the way David would become known to Kaisha. There's another point as well. And that is, David was the one most fitting to kill Goliath because he was the author of the council. Like I said, the, the, from the balance of Rus and Arpa. So what Arpa produced was Goliath, what Rus produced was David. And therefore the balance of Ra against Tav, good against bad, Kedusha against Tumma, is now brought into focus. Here is his are the product, the children of both, let the Kedusha overcome its, its balanced Tumma. And so it was Dafka meant for David to do, because that was his counterpart, so to speak, in Ra, which he had to overcome.